Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. We have a lot of stories today, but our star today is going to be Mike Collier. Mike Collier is running for uh, lieutenant governor of Texas, the most powerful position in the state. He has a lot to say, but most importantly, he's going to tell what he wants to do for Texans, and he wants to make it clear that explaining to folks, letting folks know what he's all about is going to ensure a win. When I asked specifically, can you win? He said, not only can I win, but I'm going to win. And you know what? If you listen to this guy, uh, (laughs) I, I, I think he makes a whole lot of sense. We have a whole lot of other stories to cover, so stick with it. We will be here. We are in our winter fun drive, but folks, please stick with me. I'm not just going to give you a fun drive pitch. I'm not just going to be doing a whole lot of pitching and pitching and pitching. I'm going to do a short pitch here at the beginning. I'm going to do a slight little pitch in the middle. And then at the end, a small pitch. Don't forget, please support the show. Support the station as well. Why am I asking you to support KPFT 90.1 FM Houston? It is extremely important. Remember that KPFT embraces cultural diversity. We represent the entire Houston, the entire metropolitan area. We represent the entire country. KPFT supports programming that's not the status quo. We challenge the status quo. We don't give you what the corporatocracy just want to give you. We are here to tell you not only the truth, but to express it in a way that we all understand. That's KPFT's job. We are not trying to forget the past. We embrace the past and we are there to celebrate the future because things change. What am I saying? Please remember KPFT 90.1 FM is a gem. We are in the process of moving. We are in the process of relocating to a new space. We need you more than we have ever needed you before to keep this thing going. Over 50 years of giving you great info, not only progressive programming, but alternative uh, programming. What do we mean by alternative programming, we mean things that you are not going to get elsewhere. We also mean telling you the truth about things that others may not want you to know. So please remember, folks, call 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738. 
But even better, visit kpft.org, click the donate button, make sure you select politics done right for the program. The form will give you, please get one of my several books out there. As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America utopia, take away the economy from those who rigged it for a pledge of $120. Get any two of those books for $200, any three of those books for $250. The Contributions for my books go directly to support our station, KPFT 90.1 FM. Alternatively, folks, please get your basic KPFT-only membership for $40, a Pacifica-only membership for $25, or choose from one of our many other gifts for your contribution. Just go to kpft.org, choose Politics Done Right for the program, and select an option either for our books or something else to support the station. It is definitely worth it. And you know how I start this. Let's get busy. Crime rate. You know, everybody likes to talk about a crime rate and want to attack the, you know, uh, some of the people who come and stuff and say, look at what those liberals are doing about the bond issue, etc. What they forget is that the bonds people love to vote Republican. The people who are the bail bonds persons vote Republican. And in that regard, Republicans are responsible for having these bonds that, that, that we have out there. Don't dare believe that this is just a Democratic judge thing that releases people. Because if you check the percentage of the people that are released who commit crimes, 2%. 2%, okay? The release and bond that do violent things, 2%. Compare that to the, to the crime itself in the country, and you see it's not too far off, right? So therefore, uh, even though if your particular person was killed, maimed, or hurt by somebody who was released and bond, to you, that is the end of the world, and it should be. But it does, statistically, it is actually insignificant. That's a bad thing to say when it comes to humanity. But when you're making policy, you cannot make policy based on uh, what happens to an individual. You make policy based on society. And that is what, that's how you get good policy. But again, if you really want to know who's responsible for crime, I can tell you categorically, and she can as well. There's no question that crime has risen across the country since the pandemic began. There are a lot of important, nuanced, tough debates to be had about the reasons for that increase, which is clear. It's it's happening and how to reverse it. And there are criminologists I respect uh, and who read who support hiring more police. And there are other people I respect and I who I read who think we should abolish prisons and police. There's a wide degree of debate. I am personally open to hearing. I wrote my second book, A Colony Nation, about these issues. But what Ted Cruz and his colleagues displayed today is not part of that debate. It's just sheer, disgusting, super predator, crack baby, Willie Horton-style fear-mongering. It is the latest step in the crazy backlash criminal justice politics straight out of the 80s and 90s that gave us the highest incarceration rate in the world and that has regained so much steam on the right. I mean, look, this is not anything original. Ted Cruz is not coming up with anything original here. He's just using the oldest playbook imaginable because it works. But, you know, this isn't about principle. Uh, It's not about principle at all. It's really just about political opportunity and the chance for Republicans to once again manipulate the conversation around crime 
and an increase in crime, or at least certain crimes in certain places, um, to make it seem as if Democrats are the ones causing that instead of Republicans. But but make no mistake, the reason that crime has increased can be directly traced back to right-wing policies, not left-wing DAs. I think this conversation has been weaponized right now, and not just by Republicans, but largely by Republicans, right? Um, to indicate that this is a lack of police or prosecutors. But what I think is happening and what I think a lot of people who uh, think about the system holistically can see is that we're in the middle of a pandemic. We've dealt with um, unprecedented isolation, uncertainty. Uh, Kids aren't in school. We are in a moment of deep societal flux. And it's not surprising to me that in a country that doesn't actually provide the social services or, you know, uh, safety nets that people need, that crime has gone up. Absolutely. So in a time when we don't have a real social safety net, what else is there to expect? Anyhow, guest text, guest text, guest text. Should we reduce the guest text? I want to play this for you. Uh, first, first of all, I want to give you a narrative of the guest text that I want you guys to remember keenly because all these people that talk about guest text and forgiven guest text uh, while, um, while the prices of gas is high, they don't understand economics. So let me go ahead and play this and then we'll take it on the other side. So when everything from eggs to lumber to cars, it's just so much more expensive. Any kind of savings sounds pretty good, right? So how about 18 cents less per gallon of gas? The Washington Post reporting, quote, the White House and top Democratic lawmakers are beginning to weigh a new push for a federal gas tax holiday, potentially pausing fees at the pump as part of a broader campaign to combat rising prices. Uh, But that push, it actually might hit a roadblock before it even gets into gear. What these senators who are up for re-election, they're out on the campaign trail and they hear from voters that the most concerning thing is inflation, the rising cost of gas prices, the rising cost of food. And so some of these senators are saying that perhaps they should consider suspending the federal gas tax, which is about 18 and a half cents per gallon when you're filling up the tank. They say that will put a little bit more money in people's pockets and alleviate some of the pain. But uh, there's already some pushback among Republicans who say that this is something that is gimmicky. It's something that Mm. won't have much of an impact. And they say that it's electoral year politics. And even some Democrats aren't completely on board yet either. Now, historically, Democrats have long resisted attempts to get rid of the gas tax, something this is something that is floated periodically every few years when gas yeah. prices do rise. And so this time around, though, uh, you know, Democrats are trying really hard to win back the Senate. And the, so this is an attempt to try to relate to Americans and give them some bit of help, Yasmin. So, so here's the thing, quickly, Leanne, is I'm always told, listen, if you're against an idea, then tell me your solution. So, so what is their, you know, the naysayer solution to this, as we, of course, heard from the president as well yesterday, that the economy could be affected if uh, Moscow invades Ukraine, that could push the gas prices even higher than they already are. 
Yeah, well, this discussion about uh, inflation on Capitol Hill, uh, Republicans have been sounding this alarm for a while. Their response is mostly don't spend more government money, and that will help to reduce inflation. Um, and then Democrats are now getting in on this debate, too. They are realizing that this is something that is real. But Democrats don't have a lot of proposals yet, either. They are now at least starting to acknowledge that inflation is something that people are grappling with across the country, but they haven't yeah. really come up with any uh, proposals that will fin- cross the finish line in order to address it just yet. Yeah. All right. Let me tell you something. Any, any, uh, any reduction in the gas taxes is nothing more than a transfer of wealth to the uh, oil companies because what it means is as follows. We are going to drop that little bit of tax, 18 cents or whatever it is, and everybody gets 18 cents back and the oil companies just get more, either more volume in sales because the gas has dropped by 18 cents or they rack the price up another 18 cents and call it inflation caused by all the different things occurring in the country. What I think the, the government should do is say, okay, if you guys can't supply gas, a a necessary resource at a respectable price, we will go ahead and take over production until the emergency is done. And when you think you can give gasoline at a good price, we'll turn it back over to you. After all, the gasoline that the, the crude that you're pulling out of the ground was not placed there by your corporations. It was placed there by divine spirits or however it got there. Well, we know what it happens, right? That's all fossilized, fossilized uh, carbon. But anyway, uh, if you can't get, we, uh, the government is there to protect the people. If you cannot if you cannot give a price to the people that they can survive on, then we, the people, will produce the oil at a price the people can use. And people say, but it's supply and demand is the reason why the price is high. No, we do not have shortages. If there were shortages, it would justify a run. We have sufficient fuel in this world, even as we shouldn't be burning it, but we have enough under current conditions. This is simply a transfer of wealth because these corporations have price and power. This mean, this is the same for eggs. This is the same for milk. This is the same for cheese. This is the same for peanut butter. All these things, there's absolutely no reason that we should have any price increases on these particular products. And the reason why is we as American citizens, we buy the crap that neoliberals tell us on the news, on every channel, from Fox News to MSNBC to CNN. We cannot believe these lies, okay? We do not have shortages and the supply chain issue has nothing to do with the government. It has everything to do with the private sector screwing up with just-in-time inventory, with offshoring. So why should we, the people, pay the price for the screw-ups of the private sector to make a dollar? Since they have proven that they were inept, since they have been proven that they do not understand what's best for society, then if they don't, if they go ahead and have inflation, we'll take it away from them and put the prices where they should be. And it can be done. The problem is you have to have the will to do it. You have to remember that why I talk about having the right size government is because government is we the people. And if the, if, if the corporate structure, which we the people allow to exist as its own entity, actually remember, the corporation is a legal entity. If that legal entity 
is unable to make society better. If that legal entity hurts society, high gas prices, high food prices, then we take that legal entity away. Because first and foremost, it's we the people. First and foremost is we the people. If corporations had that threat on their backs, you would be surprised how fast prices would fall. If they thought for one minute that you misbehave, we will nationalize. Watch how quickly prices come down. You want me to give an example of when that occurred? During, Obama, during the Obamacare debate, when they were scared that the ever-increasing prices of insurance was going through the roof, suddenly during the negotiations of Obamacare, suddenly during the negotiations of Obamacare, the price, of, the price increases on insurance stopped. They really slowed down. If you doubt me, look at the charts between 2008 and 2012. 2014. Take a look at the chart in the increase in 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 uh, in in these things. Okay. Sam Donaldson was there to discuss uh, Lillian Carter, a very very nice woman before her time, a civil rights leader before her time, who wasn't married to necessarily somebody who followed civil rights. It was President Carter's mother. But if you wanted to know the benevolence of Jim Carter uh, 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 on why Jimmy Carter was the way he, he is, it's because of who his mother was. But something else happened at the end of the show that really was touching. Finally, I saw a break in patriarchy because of how this person responded when Donaldson asked the question. And when Mika Brzezinski, it's, it was Mika's Brzezinski's show, and I really enjoyed the respect that this guy had for her. So I want you to listen to this. And again, two good things. Lillian Carter, a wonderful woman, and the deferral of this man. Check this out. Elise Jordan, yeah. you have the next question. Sam Elise Jordan here. I love Hi, that you are showcasing, hello, such a strong Southern woman who obviously no. had great influence on her son. And I find her story fascinating because it's one thing for President Carter to have held evolved views on race and human rights given the decades he lived in. But Miss Lillian was born in the turn of the century, deep South Georgia. What can you tell us about how her upbringing and background influenced her beliefs. <laughs> just looking at her biography and all of that, uh, in a small town of Archery, uh, New Georgia, uh, what caused her to be a person who understood human rights and the civil rights of everybody in this country? I'm just not competent to tell you. All I know is that she did. And I know she infused her children with the same view. And Jimmy Carter would say the same thing if he were here today. God bless him. He's 98. He's doing well. She was the force in the life. 
her husband and Jimmy's father uh, was a man of the South, and he didn't have the same view as his wife did about all of this. But clearly she ran the family, at least from the standpoint of making the children. Sam, it's Richard Haas. Good morning. Long time no talk. Here we are. We're talking about Russia invading a country. Well, that happened in 1979 with Afghanistan. We're talking about inflation being really high. We're talking about a president who doesn't seem to be bonding with the American people. You covered the Carter presidency. You're you're watching the Biden presidency. Are you struck by the similarities or the differences more? How, what's, what's your take on it? Well, more the differences. I think both people, both men are decent men. Both both men, you don't come to the presidency, as you know, Richard, as well as anyone, saying, I'm going to destroy it. Well, you don't do it consciously, at least. I may know of one exception. The point is, Biden's the man of the Senate. He thought conciliation. Let's work together. That's the way we used to do it. He discovered this first year. No, that's not the way the Republicans are going to do it. If you come to a knife fight, Richard, in the alley, you better bring a bigger knife. Not here's some salve for the wounds. In the case of uh, other presidents, uh, they've learned this. Nixon knew how to do it. Uh, and George Herbert Walker Bush also knew about Washington. And you got to know something about Washington. I think one of Jimmy Carter's problems was he thought he could just do it because he's president. And he meant well. Well, that's not that's not the way it works. And today, Richard, I want to ask you the question what's happening in the Donbass what's happening in the so-called non-invasion which in fact obviously is an invasion and how do we react Nika do I have the right to answer that you go right ahead what are we looking <laughs> ahead to today especially coming from the White House I thought that was so very respectful of that man uh, Donaldson got into his reporter way of being, and even though he was, it's not his show, he went ahead and uh, asked the question, and the other man just went ahead and said, Mika, is it okay for me to answer that question? Deferring to Mika, understanding the type of patriarchy that we have, that in the long run, you know, you always have men come onto these shows, and in as much as it's a woman's running the show, they want to take over. I just found that refreshing. I don't know how many people kind of noticed that, but for me, it was like, while, while Donaldson was asking the question, in my mind, I was saying, my God, Donaldson, that is Mika's show. She's doing the question and not you. Have some respect is what I was saying. And to just have him defer to her was very, very inspiring. Rick Scott, the, the quarter billionaire, Rick Scott is going to, put out 11 points with over 128 options to show that we Republicans stand for something. And my God, he gave every Democrat the template to use to beat the Republicans. And you know what? If they don't use it effectively, starting immediately, that would be malpractice to the core. So what I want you guys to do is listen to this and then we'll take it on the other side. Mitch McConnell is, in the words of Washington Post columnist Jennifer Rubin, quote, ruthless, cynical and power hungry, but he is not dumb. If Republicans take back control of Congress after the midterms, what would be your agenda? That is a very good question. And I'll let you know when we take it back. McConnell's official position is that Republicans have no official positions. He thinks that's the best way for Republicans to win back the Senate. 
First term Republican Senator Rick Scott of Florida is a very rich man with a net worth over $250 million. And Republicans believe that matters of money should be left to very rich men. And so Rick Scott has been given the job of chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee. That is really a fundraising job. You're supposed to just help senators raise money for their reelection campaigns. You are not supposed to think. Rick Scott apparently did not get that memo. And so today he decided to change the McConnell policy of having no policies to 11 new campaign policies for Republican Senate candidates because Rick Scott is not good at thinking. He has given Republicans the single stupidest platform anyone has ever put in writing, including massive tax increases on most Americans, including senior citizens living on Social Security, and nonsense like, quote, finish building the wall and name it after President Donald Trump. Rick Scott told Politico, I'm doing it because I'm a business guy and I believe in plans. Joining us now is David Plough, former campaign manager and White House senior advisor to President Obama. And uh, David, uh, this does not look like something the Republicans should be running on. Uh, Should Democrats be using it running against Republicans? Oh, you have to, Lawrence. I mean, it was epic political malpractice, but it is what he and most Republicans uh, today believe. And I have learned uh, that political arguments have to be believable. So let's back to 2012. You might recall Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan ran around the country accusing Barack Obama of wanting to destroy Medicare. Well, voters might have thought a lot of things about Barack Obama. They didn't think he was going to gouge Medicare. So this is believable that Republicans, if they take over, uh, would raise taxes on working people. And so what McConnell wants to do is play four corners, uh, to use a Kentucky basketball uh, saying. He likes his position and he wants to just have the Democrats basically be on trial and have it be a referendum. Democrats now have a pretty compelling argument on economic policy. They stated Rick Scott, uh, you know, said very clearly they're going to raise taxes on almost every working American and every senior citizen on Social Security and shower the wealthiest uh, people in corporations with big tax cuts. Education plan, ban books, top, stop teaching history because they don't think our kids uh, can handle the truth. Uh, their foreign policy plan for a lot of them anyway uh, is to, you know, basically snuggle up to Vladimir Putin and give the middle finger to our allies. Their health care plan is to make it harder and more expensive to get health care. There is a lot you can do with it. So Democratic candidates are going to have to take that fight to the voters. So, uh, you know, change that question of Republicans, one is we should get change, you know, right direction is not good. We've dealt with the pandemic. You've got to basically focus people and say, be very, very careful, because if they get power, here's what they're going to do. If they get power, that is what they're going to do. Remember that. And that's what every single Republican or rather Democrat has to remember. Republicans intend to raise that. And, you know, you know, for those who say, oh, really, are they going to do that? Yeah. You know what they said? Everybody needs skin in the game. They don't realize that we all pay taxes. Even those that the, the people, you know, I remember Romney said, oh, 47 percent of these folks are the only ones who pay tax or whatever, something to that effect. Well, you forget one thing, and that is we all pay Social Security taxes and many other taxes that even the wealthy don't pay. So um, we have something to run on. I think Rick Scott just did the Democrats a big favor. Now it's time for Democrats to weaponize the truth, as stated 
by Rick Scott and the Republicans. And, and you know, I would tie what Rick Scott did to what Mitch McConnell say. say it's, and, and just the way that, that um, Lawrence O'Donnell did it. Um, what, uh, Mitch McConnell says he's not going to tell you what he's going to do for you until he wins the election. And Rick Scott tells you what he's going to do if they win the election. One tells the truth, one hides the truth. But now we have the truth. And that is what we have to come with, folks. That is what we have to come with. Don't forget, please support the show. Support the station as well. Why am I asking you to support KPFT 90.1 FM Houston? It is extremely important. Remember that KPFT embraces cultural diversity. We represent the entire Houston, the entire metropolitan area. We represent the entire country. KPFT supports programming that's not the status quo. We challenge the status quo. We don't give you what the corporatocracy just want to give you. We are here to tell you not only the truth, but to express it in a way that we all understand. That's KPFT's job. We are not trying to forget the past. We embrace the past and we are there to celebrate the future because things change. What am I saying? Please remember KPFT 90.1 FM is a gem. We are in the process of moving. We are in the process of relocating to a new space. We need you more than we have ever needed you before to keep this thing going. Over 50 years of giving you great info, not only progressive programming, but alternative pro- uh, programming. What do we mean by alternative programming, we mean things that you are not going to get elsewhere. We also mean telling you the truth about things that others may not want you to know. So please remember, folks, call 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738. But even better, visit kpft.org, click the donate button, make sure you select politics done right for the program. The form will give you your donate and gift options. Please get one of my several books out there. As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America utopia, take away the economy from those who rigged it for a pledge of $120. Get any two of those books for $200, any three of those books for $250. The Contributions for my books go directly to support our station, KPFT 90.1 FM. Alternatively, folks, please get your basic KPFT-only membership for $40, a Pacifica-only membership for $25, or choose from one of our many other gifts for your contribution. Just go to kpft.org. Choose Politics Done Right for the program and select an option either for our books or something else to support the station. It is definitely worth it. Um, You remember what Trump said when he was running. He said, Hillary, why are all your people taking the Fifth Amendment? That just means you're guilty. That is what the mob does. You know, that is what the mob does. You must be guilty for doing the Fifth Amendment. And, you know, uh, everybody ran with that. The New York Times and everybody ran. And they, 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 they actually unfairly. I'm not a Hillary fan. 
but they were unfair to Hillary. It was the woman thing and a bit more. Well, I mean, uh, it, on the cross connection, they covered that. I want you to see what they had to say, and then we'll take it on the other side. Check this out, and we'll be right back. I want you to take a listen because you brought up that the, the fact that these two could essentially uh, plead the fifth. But take a listen to what Donald Trump said about people who plead the fifth. When you have your staff taking the Fifth Amendment, taking the fifth so they're not prosecuted. Fifth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, Fifth Amendment. Horrible. Horrible. Her staffers taking the Fifth Amendment. How about that? If five people taking the Fifth Amendment, like you see on the mob, right? You see the mob takes the Fifth. If you're innocent, why are you taking the Fifth Amendment? interesting that he, uh, you know, constantly contradicts himself, but I don't think his uh, base, you know, ever cares to hold him uh, accountable for when he does that. It seems like the people holding uh, this president accountable the most are Tis James and, of course, in Georgia, Fonnie El- uh, El- uh, Willis, uh, you know, with the whole uh, election denier uh, case. I want to get into this um, National Archives story a little bit. Now, the National Archives did confirm that Trump took uh, 15 boxes of documents to Mar-a-Lago after he left the White House. We talked about that in the open, including some documents marked as top secret. Now, Trump, of course, has denied uh, all wrongdoing, as he is known to do. But we're also having this conversation while there are rumors circulating about him running in 2024. Will this have any impact on midterms? Will it have any impact on the speculation about him running again? And I should say we're way over time, but I do want to give you a chance to answer. I'm just going to say very quickly, the hypocrisy of the New York Times here is off the charts. If you look at what they did with Hillary Clinton and her her alleged email scandal versus how they basically buried the story of Trump eating classified documents, it's off the charts and shows you just how much bias um, we have in the media for Trump. In terms of punishments, I think that one of the problems here is that the Presidential Records Act has no teeth. But the destroying of classified documents, that's what we got Oliver North on. So we should maximally prosecute that. Um, and yes, it could be used to prevent him from running for office again. And again, this is this happened in Iran-Contra. It can happen again if we have prosecutors willing to go to the mattresses to get this guy any way they can. Yes, it's time to get this guy. We also must remember that Donald Trump Jr. took the Fifth Amendment over 500 times. So the truth of the matter is, yes, we have a double standard in the way the news media is covered. And believe it or not, part of the responsibility of January 6th is because we gave so much traction to Donald Trump, who was able to mislead so many people who got their minds fried and got all of them running down to Washington, D.C. for an insurrection that many of them now see. Donald Trump was just there to use them. And when they got into trouble said bye-bye and now in order to win he's saying oh well maybe if i run and and you guys elect me i'll pardon you so please 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 elect me please today we are honored to have the next lieutenant governor of texas who is mike collier democrat mike welcome to politics and red how are you doing today i'm fine how are you my friend always good to see you it's always great to see you let me tell you mike first of all I'm excited for this race. I'm excited for the entire slate. And more than ever, I think the pundits with regards to how the party will do have it all wrong because I don't think they know that we have people like you running. So 
First of all, tell us a little bit about who Mike Collier is. Well, that's uh, first of all, that's very kind of you, uh, Egberto. Uh, you might recall, for your listeners, I want everybody to know this. I woke up one day so angry at Texas Republicans. I knew nobody in politics. And I Googled Kingwood Democrats and found one Egberto Willis and said, <laughs> Egberto, my name is Mike Collier, and I want to come to one of your meetings. I want to meet some Democrats. I am so unhappy with Texas politics. And you have been so welcoming and warm and friendly from the very beginning. It, my political journey starts with you, my friend, and I'm always so glad to see you. Well, let me just say one thing, uh, Senor Collier. Uh, you have, I mean, it, it, it all emanates from you. Because you're a special guy, and I think I've told you that a million times, and that is you are the one guy, I think, who can really start this new revolution on the top of the ticket in Texas. You have the right pedigree. You have what's necessary to do it. So, again, tell us about who you are, because um, yeah, so, well, Texas needs to know who you are. Yeah, well, thank you, Egberto. So, um, um, yeah, so I, I'm coming out of the business world to do this. I'm a certified public accountant uh, in my professional life. I, I joke as an auditor, I get lied to for a living. Uh, my job is to keep big, powerful, wealthy people honest. And uh, that's what I do for a living. Uh, I think it'd be very useful in uh, Texas. And my clients are in the energy industry, and I'm right where, right in the transition mode. I, you know, I get hired because clients call me and say, Mike, help me with a project. And it used to be that it was oil and gas companies calling me. And now it's power and utility and battery and wind and solar companies calling me. And I know that space well, and that's a huge issue. We have to fix the grid. We have to address climate change aggressively in the state. And what I do for a living is solve complicated problems in an honest way, in a way that's fair for all the parties involved. That's precisely my ambition as it relates to state politics. And we have a lot of problems and we have a lot of people hurting. And a lot of it comes down to, is policy in this state fair? Is it fair for everyone? And uh, for example, as I run for lieutenant governor, the most powerful position in the state, um, I'm not going to take any money from the corporate PACs because we know that it is not fair. So often policy is not fair because we know who they work for. They meaning the lieutenant governor, and it's not us. And so if we have a lieutenant governor who's independent, who's focused on uh, fair and smart and wise policy and goes into communities and hears that people are suffering, and what can we do to help them? And where does state policy uh, take us in that regard, whether it's education, whether it's healthcare, fix the grid, criminal justice reform, we could talk about all of these things. That's the lieutenant governor that I hope to be. And Texans seem to be responding to me. I ran against Dan Patrick four years ago and almost beat him. And now we're going to beat him this time. I, I think you will. You know, it's interesting because that's what I've always admired about you. And that is that you are you are able to listen to everybody, no matter what what part of the spectrum politically they stand up, because you realize one of the important things. And that is we're all Texans. We're all Americans. And therefore, everybody needs to be listened to. So what I want to the, the way I want to start this is I want to first ask you when you become lieutenant governor, what is the first thing that you're going to do? You know, you, you, you gave a litany of things that you wanted, uh, that, 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 that's a problem in Texas. Where are we going to start? Yeah. So in, in a broad sense, the power of the lieutenant governor is to set the agenda. And the Senate works on whatever the lieutenant governor says we need to work on. And all you have to do is look at what the last lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick, the guy on his way out, Look what he did. One of his agenda items was to cancel a woman's right to choose. Right? 
He set that agenda and he achieved it through a very unconstitutional law with vigilante and it's wrong. So this lieutenant governor is going to set the agenda that I'm going to set is to reverse those policies that are bad policies, reverse the policies as to a woman's right to choose, because I believe a woman does have a right to choose. Texans agree with me on this. Lieutenant governor is going to say, make it so that people can, in fact, vote, make it easy for people to vote, participate in democracy, um, set the agenda so that we fix the damn grid, set the agenda so that we deal honestly with criminal justice reform, set the agenda so that we're working on uh, legalizing marijuana, which I think would be very good and very important for the state. So there's one thing you do, which is to set the agenda that is pro-Texan. And then a lot of other things fall underneath that. And we do have to accomplish quite a lot. It's a big and complicated state. And we've been under the thumb of a zealous regime who have done a lot of really bad things to us policy-wise. And we have to reverse those. Now, interestingly, um, many of our Republican brothers and sisters, and I really differentiate between our Republican brothers and sisters, the voters versus the politicians, because the voters, voters, Democrats, Republicans, independents, they're all good people. What we have to concentrate on is what the politicians have done to us in our rural areas, Yoakum, Texas, all these other parts of Texas that we can talk about. We have started to see are not started. We've been seeing. Uh, hospitals close, all these major issues with healthcare. Even though Texas has not thousands, not millions, but billions of dollars sitting on the table that we can use to make Texans healthy. What are you going to do about that? Well, if you start with the with the fundamental proposition that healthcare is a basic human right, then we're in a very rich nation. A very rich state within a very rich nation. We certainly could afford it. Healthcare is a basic human right. Do we or do we not as Texans agree with that? I believe that we do, Egberto. And you mentioned drawing a distinction between Republicans as our neighbors and the politicians. I do believe that the majority of Texans believe it's a fundamental human right. So then the debate, therefore, is only what's the most effective and fair way to achieve access to everybody to healthcare. That's where the debate should be. Now, there's a couple of steps that we need to take in the state right away. There's a low-hanging fruit, expanding Medicaid. It's right there for the, for the reach. 38 other states have done it. There's no reason why Texas shouldn't. It's ready to go. It's a simple up or down vote in the Senate. It's the work of 15 minutes. If we had a lieutenant governor that said, we're going to vote on this thing, the vote would be yes. Even Republicans, I believe, would vote for yes because the vast majority of Texans believe that to be the case. That will help with hospitals closing. Then the next step is let's make sure that we deal with hospitals closing. Let's make sure that we have broadband so that you have telemedicine projected into places where you don't have a specialist, but you need specialist care. Then let's pivot and let's talk about the cost of health care. Because there's an awful lot of middlemen that aren't, they aren't making people healthier. They aren't inventing new drugs, but they're making themselves quite rich. So let's smoke that out so that our money is done efficiently and so people can afford health care. Those are the steps that we need to be taking and Texans support that, including Republicans. It is not partisan. It's just good sense. There are reasons why the, the partisan politicians won't go anywhere near that. And this is the thesis of my campaign and my aspiration in politics is the Republicans have a very, very small base that they pander to, mm -hmm. to win their primary, 
and then to win their general. What percentage of Texans is that base? It's small, Egberto. Maybe 15% of Texans. They are the ones that are driving policy. The rest, the other 85% of us, look at that policy and say, what are you guys thinking? And when we release ourselves from the grip of that 15% by having real political competition, then all of a sudden the majority of Texans are saying, look, what you're doing is not smart. Let's be smart and let's live our values. Now, um, I have been concerned for some time here in Texas in that I I see, a, a, and I don't know, I, I don't want to point fingers at say the party or anything of that nature, but I feel like we are not grabbing, I see you doing it, but I don't see a lot of folks grabbing the bull by the horns and putting it out there, just like you've articulated about healthcare, just like you've articulated about the grid, just like you've articulated about the justice system. You're coming out and saying, this is what I want to do. You're giving an assertive message. I have too often watching the debates around the state, seeing people taking a defensive posture when they really should be on the offensive. We want to do what's right by Texans. Your thoughts? Well, well, I certainly agree with you. And I would say one of the problems of getting elected statewide as a Texas Democrat is that we have no cumulative knowledge and experience of winning because it's been 30 years. Right. So each candidate basically is starting with a clean piece of paper and figuring it out as he or she goes. And they go to a different place. It just so happens that that's the fabric that I'm made of, you know, in my right. life, in my professional life. If you go into a board of directors and say, you know, you fellas have a problem, you better you better tell them what you think the solution is. Otherwise, they'll laugh you out of the room. So it just happens to be in my nature to campaign this way. And it just happens to be working. And if I just happen to win, then I think you'll see that it offer up for many, many other candidates, any one of whom can do this is this is the prescription for success in the state. Now, I'm not smart enough to have designed this. I'm just being myself. You know, the authentic Mike is all about solving problems and attacking these guys. We will define this race. This race will not be defined for me. I'm not going to play defense. Uh, they're in charge, and they're the ones that are screwing up. I'm going to hit them. I'm going to hit them where they're hurting people. And... Um, I do believe I'm going to win, Egberto. And of course, I have a lot of work to do. But when I do, then you'll see other statewide candidates say, OK, here's a formula. Here's a formula that works. Once we have a formula, once we have cumulative knowledge and experience, you'll see you'll see Democrats campaigning that way. Well, you say state or local. And that is important because they've destroyed the grid. They've destroyed the healthcare system for uh, for all but those who have a lot of money. They have uh, right now there is a. An increase in crime, I, I, I will not call it a crime wave, because if you look at the numbers, that's not what the numbers tell you, but there is an increase in crime. And what I find is uh, that what we should do is give, explain what the genesis of crime is and how you're going to solve it, because you know what the genesis is, as opposed to saying, I am going to just lock people up. And I think that's what I, I've been hearing from you. So talk a little bit about that. Well, there's a, there's a crime. There is crime. It's higher than it was. It's a concerning trend. I think everybody ought to be focused like a laser beam on this because people in their communities, they want to feel safe in their communities. And there's so many elements to it. Where does the state get involved? One thing the state can do is deal with jobs and poverty. 
Right. Jobs and poverty and infrastructure. And so that's a very important education. I mean, the state has to do its job to make sure that young as infants have a place to go to learn and get a taste of learning and feel safe and build relationships with teachers. Pre-K is so important. Education is a big, big, big part of this. Then there's good paying jobs in communities where you have a lot of people that need good paying jobs and they don't feel like they've got um, economic upside and, and economic security. So we need to take steps so that we're investing proactively. There's a lot of money that can be made in communities that are being overlooked. So the point is that you can invest. It can be profitable, profitable not only for the investors, but profitable for the workers and their families. Then what follows that is transportation. What follows that is infrastructure. And so there's an awful lot that the state can do. Those things all factor into crime. What the state the state doesn't do is individual police force work. However, the state contributes a, a lot, or shall I say the state can or can't, depending on their political will, be a good partner to local government. Now, I'm very, very critical of Dan Patrick and the state government because we are not good partners with our local city and county officials. They have declared war on counties. They have declared war on cities. Our city leaders are trying to keep our streets safe. Our county leaders are trying to keep our streets safe. They're trying to do it in a way that builds trust in communities, which is hard. Why isn't the state helping them? Why is the state not getting behind them and helping them and supporting them financially and with policies that make sense locally? I trust our local leaders and the state is not a good partner in these things. So there's an awful lot that the state can do, and there's an awful lot that Dan Patrick knows won't do and aren't do. And then finally, you know, they take they take actions that law enforcement say, don't do it. And there's plenty of examples that I can think of, but the one that comes immediately to mind is canceling permit to carry. That you had law enforcement on the steps of the Capitol saying to Dan Patrick, don't do this. We have a problem on our hands. You're throwing gasoline on a fire because you're pandering to that 15%. So uh, a lot of it has to do with mindset. The lieutenant governor and the state that understands there's a crime problem spends the time recognizing what really drives that. Partnering effectively with local government, doing its job. That's what we need. That's what our uh, top leaders don't do. That is excellent. It, it is amazing because we've spoken a whole lot thus far about what you intend to do, uh, the topics that you're going to cover as lieutenant governor, which I think is very important. And th the only time Dan Patrick's name comes up is when, well, you know, I mean, he should have done X, Y, Z, which he didn't. I mean, uh, it, it's amazing how one of his major issues now is to take tenure away from professors. And you've made a statement to the Dallas, uh, to the Dallas News as well as to um, the Tri Texas Tribune. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, so the background is, you know, Dan Patrick uh, is not a free speech lieutenant governor. He wants to dictate terms as to what could be taught in the classroom. I am very, very much against that, particularly as it relates to history. We have a lot to be proud of in this country. We should celebrate our success. We've made a lot of mistakes in this country. We should learn from them. We should teach history honestly, comprehensively, respectfully, but thoroughly. Dan Patrick is off on some tear that's inconsistent with freedom of speech, and he's creating a war and he created war in our public schools, and now he's creating war in our great universities. The professors wisely pushed back. And so he said, all right, we're going we're gonna to cancel tenure. Tenure's not perfect. Tenure can be improved. We all understand that we have issues related to universities and tenure. 
but you don't just cancel it because we will have a brain drain from our great universities like the state has never seen. The best and the brightest will leave our state. It'll have a tremendous impact on our great universities. It will therefore have a derivative impact on industries that thrive on the relationship between their industry and our universities. It'll be a devastating impact on our state. And the fact that Dan Patrick would actually advance that out of personal peak is not rational at all. The reason I wanted to ask that as one of my last questions is because exactly that there are whenever you make decisions, these decisions can have impacts that way exceed the narrative, way exceed that little pet peeve that you're talking about. Well, the last question I always ask everybody, um, Mike, is tell me something that you wish I had asked you that I didn't. Okay, well, you yes. Um, you didn't ask about public education mm-hmm. because we have so many other things that are on our minds. And as you know, Egberto, because we've known each other for a long time, my decision to run in the first instance many years ago was to be the undisputed champion for public education because that's where the students are. And we've got some schools that are very, very successful and we got some schools that need our help. And we know that there's racial bias in this. You didn't ask about education because we have so many other things that, to distract us. But I know when I get on the stump, I start there because I am uh, not a glib and transient politician looking for way. I I am devoted to education. If we don't get education right, we're not going to get anything right. And we have a moral obligation to every single little boy and girl, regardless of the community they're born in, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of their race, their religion. We have an obligation to every little boy and girl in this state to give them a shot at success and and to be good citizens. And it starts with education. Mike Collier, Lieutenant, the next Lieutenant Governor of Texas. Thank you. In fact, thank you so kindly for bringing up education, which I should have asked, but you know what? That proves that you will do the job because whether we remember to ask it or not, whether we, we know that it's needed or not, you're right there. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics and Right. As always, Egberto, great to see you. Thank you. Don't forget, please support the show. Support the station as well. Why am I asking you to support KPFT 90.1 FM Houston? It is extremely important. Remember that KPFT embraces cultural diversity. We represent the entire Houston, the entire metropolitan area. We represent the entire country. KPFT supports programming that's not the status quo. We challenge the status quo. We don't give you what the corporatocracy just want to give you. We are here to tell you not only the truth, but to express it in a way that we all understand. That's KPFT's job. We are not trying to forget the past. We embrace the past and we are there to celebrate the future because things change. What am I saying? Please remember KPFT 90.1 FM is a gem. We are in the process of moving. We are in the process of relocating to a new space. We need you more than we have ever needed you before to keep this thing going. Over 50 years of giving you great info, not only progressive programming, but alternative uh, programming. What do we mean by alternative programming, we mean things that you are not going to get elsewhere. We also mean telling you the truth about things that others may not want you to know. So please remember, folks, call 713 
5736-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738. But even better, visit kpft.org. Click the donate button. Make sure you select politics done right for the program. The form will give you your donate and gift options. Please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. Keep KPFT on your mind. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know about this station in town, 90.1 FM Houston, that needs your support. That is there to provide that nourishment that we need. KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. You can listen and or watch Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politicsdoneright or on YouTube Live at politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My Twitter handle is at Egberto Willis, at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L. I-E-S. But don't you forget, listen to us live on air at KPFT 90.1 FM on Thursdays at noon and at Fridays at 11 a.m. all central time. Please get one of my several books out there. As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America utopia, take away the economy from those who rigged it for a pledge of $120. Get any two of those books for $200, any three of those books for $250. The Contributions for my books go directly to support our station, KPFT 90.1 FM. Alternatively, folks, please get your basic KPFT-only membership for $40, a Pacifica-only membership for $25, or choose from one of our many other gifts for your contribution. Just go to kpft.org, choose Politics Done Right for the program, and select an option either for our books or something else to support the station. It is definitely worth it. Well, folks, that's it for today. You know how I'm going to end this baby. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people.